Shomrabyog. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Michael and Benjamin's podcast. Welcome back to On Shomrabyog, the digital tiny room. It is summertime and the living is easy, Benjamin. Welcome back. How are you, Benjamin? Michael, the living is categorically not easy. It is summer. Bank. It is summertime, Ben, and the living is grueling, grueling <laughs> and unforgiving. But that is less interesting as a lyric. Unrelenting is what I want to say. Unrelenting, myself, Benjamin. Benjamin. <laughs> Yeah. I was watching a TV show this week as part of our topic and it has one of the greatest lines of all time. So I'm going to redo your introduction now using okay. that line. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the co-host who has been called the man who is the next of kin to chaos. It's Benjamin Colopy. They call me when chaos takes a dirt nap. It, it's it's bloody me. He's here and he's causing trouble. He's no. classic trickster. Johnny Johnny Chaos. Ben, stop spinning your wheels. Do the theme tune. I'm trying to feed you. I'm trying to feed you anything, Ben, that resembles a segue into the theme oh, tune. Oh, well, the main way I cause chaos is through my beautiful voice, Michael. <gasps> theme music for the podcast. We don't actually have any theme music. Very good. Very strong. Very amusing. I think you've raised, you've raised a titter. Ben. It is summertime and the living is grueling and unforgiving. But boy, is the drought over, Ben. The, dr- the drought is over. The, the content drought, Michael. Yeah, content is back. They say, Ben, <laughs> content is king. And in that case, this is Lord of the Rings Part 3, The Return of the King. The king, oh, in this case, Michael, being very content. Good. Yes, thank you. Such pop culture layering, Michael. Like so many layers, Ben. I'm like a pop culture onion. I'm like a pop culture Shrek. <laughs> Benjamin, have you ever heard the song Smash Mouth? I'm sure there's a drinking game in there somewhere, Michael, from Lord of the Rings to Shrek, a game in seven steps. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, look, we're drowning in stuff again. Drowning in it, Ben. Drowning in it. Loads of stuff. Loads of stuff. The the garden is soaked with stuff. Before we even go any further, Ben, we haven't even planned for this, but did you see the latest trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong? They're going to have a fight. Oh, they're, they're two guys and they're pretty big and they don't like each other. The the villain appears to have been revealed, Ben, in the latest trailer. Oh, who's the villain? It's Meji Godzilla. Oh, Mecha Boy. Yeah, he's a big robot and he's coming to get you. And his thunder has been stolen by that show, uh, that film where everyone was video games. What was that called? Bloody uh, classic, bloody Ready Player One. Ready model. Player One. Yeah, it's not called Everyone's Video Games. Um, Everyone's Video Games. <laughs> but it looks like Mecha Godzilla, and it's out, Ben. That film is out in some territories in cinemas. What, what do you mean it's out? Godzilla vs Kong is out. It's showing in some territories in cinemas now. The territories that have cinemas, where the summertime is is not as grueling. It still is grueling. They're just ignoring the safety precautions. Ah, yeah, yeah. Book. Same thing. Same thing, Ben. Ben, what's the what's the bigger danger, uh, COVID or not seeing the seminal action film Godzilla vs Kong? Not Think about seeing that. the seminal film Godzilla vs Kong. Think about Kong. that for a second. So that's out, Ben. So we'll be seeing that next week. <laughs> will we? <laughs> yes, it's out next week on HBO. It is cinema near us. Yeah. Um, there are no cinemas anymore, Michael. Of course, we are in the streaming wasteland. Uh, speaking of things coming to HBO, Michael. Very good. What a segue. Mm, uh, you sent me a little trailer this week, Michael. And what it is, Michael, is a Victorian era kind of setting. Yeah. And it's got some magical folks in it. Sounds good. Yeah. And oh boy, there's a lot of social tension caused by those magic folks. Carnival Row, is it? It's bloody Carnival Row. No, I'm just joking, Michael. But it does star another beloved English actor, bloody Nick Frost, being all Nick- serious and Londony. He's in it, and he's got a he's got a switchblade, Ben, or a, a razor blade, and he's going to chop your face off. I've yeah, met Nick oh, Frost. I, I, will, uh, I will cut your face up. Whoa, whoa. He's very small, Nick Frost. Yeah, yeah. but he does a good job. He's still rather imposing, Michael. He's not. I've met him, Ben. He's very small. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, Never he's, mind. He's, so. he's, a, he's a very small little fella. He's a very pleasant man. But he, he, what he's doing in this is acting. Oh, oh, acting. Jeez, I yes, yes, yes. yes. Benjamin, were you excited by the trailer for the TV show The Nethers? The Nevers. <laughs> oh, that was the joke I was going to make. You stole it, you cock. <laughs> I that didn't mean to. That was, was a son was of a, a bitch. That was a slip of the tongue. I actually just made a mistake there, man. Oh, yes, I'm very excited about uh, HBO show The Nethers. But then I looked up what it's about, and it's not about what I thought it's about at all, Michael. Very good. You've you've committed to that joke, even though I've ruined it. And There's I appreciate that. There's never but a nether in sight. Well, I'm sure there probably will. It's HBO. We're probably going to get something. 
I don't think so, Ben, because this looks like it's about social issues in the Victorian times, but they're actually social issues from now. Dan, Dan, Dan. Exactly, Ben. Ben, it's the X-Men. It's the X-Men, but in the olden days in London. Ye olde X-Men. And they're ladies, the X-Ladies, but in the olden days in London. Are they all ladies? They are. No, it appears, Ben, that some of the touched... Um, that's what they're called. That's what metahumans or mutants or whatever you want are called. I'll be honest, Michael, with with a name like the Nethers and the Touch, they're they're really they're really skirting the line here. They're yeah, very good, very very amusing because they'll be wearing high skirts because it's the Victorian era. Um, Benjamin, it's uh, it appears that they're the X Men, but they're ladies, but it, but they're in Victorian period. X Men ladies, yes, and they they live in an orphanage together, and they have a mysterious benefactor who protects and trains them to use their newfound terrifying abilities. Miss Peregrine's home for extraordinary children. It's Miss Peregrine's home for extraordinary ex-women, basically. <laughs> okay. It's Benjamin, I think the the story behind the production is more interesting than the actual premise itself because do you know what uh, production studio is producing this? I don't. It is Ben Mutant Enemy. Who's that? It's Joss Whedon, Ben, your favorite, your favorite oh, director no! and Joshua Whedon. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And funnily enough, the what what really tickled my wickle about this situation is that you didn't know that and you didn't know that Ben because they've removed him from the promotional material. <laughs> so it's the end of the Whedon era. Knowing that it's written and produced by Joshua Whedon as well, it, you immediately start thinking Dollhouse, where, you know, people yeah. with mysterious powers are living in an orphanage together. It's Dollhouse times Buffy multiplied by X-Men cross with Miss Peregrine's Home for Extraordinary Children plus Penny Dreadful with a sprinkle yeah, of Carnival Row on it. There's some very large helpings of Penny Dreadful and Carnival Row there with the looks of things. Um, so we've got a fiery lady. Yeah, she's doing fire. She'll do a fire. We've got a time traveling lady. Yeah. Classic. Well, for Siri lady. This is yeah, not yeah. quite a time traveling lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, there looks to be a. Uh, uh, who's the Irish girl? What's she going to do? Irish, there's two Irish ladies in it, Ben. The lead actress, the time traveling lady, she's from Northern Ireland, Ben, or as you call it, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Yeah. yeah, and she is from Northern Ireland. So it's full of the Irish, this show. We might have to watch it just out of a, uh, a sense of false patriotism. Yes, a misplaced sense of nationalism, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that'll be what leads us to watch this. Um, if the Irish characters, uh, well, there's two ways it could go. She's either going to be very religious and pious, or oh. she's going to be uh, a down on her luck prostitute like Billy, Billy Piper in anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess actually Billy <laughs> she Piper plays, plays that a prostitute a lot. a lot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she's been in a couple of shows she's, that does yeah, that. Michael, she generally plays a prostitute. That is interesting, actually. Um, <laughs> that's Billy been her Piper in Penny path. Dreadful. Yeah, Billy Piper in <laughs> Penny Dreadful, where she played Brona, was it the Irish down her luck prostitute with TB? Yeah, remember the TB? Yeah, everyone <laughs> had TB. TB. Everyone had TB back then, Ben. I'm not terribly excited about this, Ben, but I'll watch an episode or two, I suppose. I, I think it'll be intriguing, Michael. I, I I feel like Carnival Row might have, have pipped them to the post, Michael. And now that you've highlighted the fact that it's written by one Joshua Whedon, mm. uh, or Josiah Whedon, yeah. I, I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy it as much because I'm going to see Whedon tropes and be like, ah, ah, very Whedon. If there's a Victorian rave scene where he makes women dance in very awkward positions that don't come naturally to them for the sake of a good shot, mm, mm. I won't be very comfortable with that, Michael. Mm. You'll still watch it, though, you creep. Um, Do you think that this exists as an artistic endeavour or just a way for Joss Whedon to get lots of women on set so he could bully them? I I would... (laughs) Allegedly! I would, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. I would heavily place money on the latter. There's um, no evidence of all, that. Ben. All Whedon shows are just a way to fulfill his fetish. Ben, if I yes. was Joss Whedon, what I would do is I'd make a whole new film with a new person, um, and then like make their character the central, like person, the central heart mm-hmm. of the story, and mm-hmm. then in the edit remove almost all of their role, cut them down essentially to a bit player. But I would make sure it was a white man, and then go look. <laughs> I'm always doing it. I'm always. I do it with everyone. I'm always doing it. <laughs> I do not target people of color in the slightest. Yeah, look, I've I've done it to this fella, and this fella off the side gone. Hmm. Mm. I feel this was a political move. <laughs> I've been used as a pawn. Yeah. You know who um, it would be? It would be um, what's his face? The Irish fella, the little short Irish fella. Oh, Barry Keown. 
Oh yeah, okay. He's he's English, isn't he? But all right, let's go with him. No, Barry Keown is Irish, very Irish. Is he? Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, Benjamin, yeah. is there anything else coming out that's more exciting? <clears throat> Michael, <laughs> speaking of things that are more exciting, um, we finally, finally, yes. Michael, finally, yeah. finalmente, yes. um, got the trailer for the long-awaited Suicide Squad. Yes, uh, I thought the, it was good, Ben. Oh, Michael, the song that plays in that is from one of my favourite bands, which was passed out to me by my father because it's one of his favourite bands. It's do, it's Dirty Work by Steely Dan. Right. Um, I'm a fool to do your dirty work. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. That's very fitting I, because it's the Suicide Squad. And it's filled with dirty work, Michael. Um, laundering and the likes. It's its just stacked high with it. But anyway, um, I was playing it on the television and my father came in and he has no interest in superhero things, Michael. They don't intrigue him at all. Um, but he heard his favourite band being played on the televisual box. Mm-hmm. And he came in and he was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's a superhero film, but it's like an old 70s movie about war. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and he's using Steely Dan in the soundtrack with a little intercutted modern music. What? And he was very intrigued, Michael. He was, nom, 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 nom. So your What's dad is going this? to, oh, very good point, Ben, about nom, 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 nom. That was my favourite moment of the entire trailer. Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on, Michael. When the big man who's also a shark, he goes, I'm also a shark. And he goes, nom, nom, nom. And then he eats that. That presumably <laughs> that man with poor a poor gorilla fighter of some kind. Yeah. Presumably that man had a family and then he got eaten by a man shark. But look, that's fine. You have <laughs> what to a way to go. In comic book violence. That's how you go sometimes. Sometimes you get blown apart with lasers. Sometimes you get eaten by a giant shark man. Joel Kinnaman's on a real redemption arc here. Yes. Yeah. It's it's interesting that of all the characters in the previous one, he's the one that James Gunn has chosen to focus this story around. The blandest man from the previous one. I guess it's I guess it's a James Gunn, I like this guy, I'm going to help him out move. Um, Because Michael Rooker's there. Speaking of people that James Gunn always helps out. Um, Michael Rooker is there as a... I can't remember the name of the character, but anyway, he's there. He joins the squad. I like the shot, Ben, where he is in a orange jumpsuit with his long blonde hair and it's implied that it's Harley Quinn. (laughs) Yeah, they kind of play on that a little bit. It's Michael Rooker. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. There's there's a few back. Viola Davis is back, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, um, I couldn't remember if she died in the previous one or not, to be honest. She didn't. Um, but she seems to be in the same position of power she was always in. There's no June Moon, though, Michael. No, that's weird, isn't it? I wonder why. There's, there's no snake hips. Um, snaky snakes. Snaky snakes. There's none of that going on. Um, Harley Quinn is obviously back due to the yeah. fact that you're not gonna. You're not. You're not turning down Margot Robbie. You're not taking her out of your film. No, Get. she's the most popular character, Ben. Um, I enjoyed the five seconds of it that we saw where they interplay, and it's like you were going to rescue me. I can go no, back inside, and you can do it anyway. Very good, very good, Benjamin. I and, like. Yeah. Um, I like what's his face. Um, the guy who's playing the man with the toilet seat on his head, John Cena as peace keeper, Pe- peace, peacemaker, peacemaker, peacemaker. Yeah. Um, He's very entertaining. He is, he is, uh, spoilers for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He's the John Walker of this universe by the looks of things. Yeah, he's a real, (laughs) he's a real shithead. Ben, little uh, bit of trivia for for the listeners, because I assume you know this, but you know that's the character that the character, the comedian was based upon. I did not know that. Yeah. So when, when John, what's his name? What's the weird guy? Alan Moore. When Alan Moore was writing... Watchmen as a Carlton Comics project. Oh yes, it was Peacemaker who was the basis for the comedian. Oh, I didn't know that at all, Michael. You knew that about Watchmen, though, didn't you? That, for example, Rorschach was the question. Oh yes, no, I knew that. Uh, uh, Night Owl was Blue Beetle, yeah, and so on. I knew that part, but I didn't know um, that Peacemaker was featured. yeah, 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 Peacemaker was the inspiration for the comedian. That's very interesting, isn't it? Very good, very good. I like it. I like how comic accurate and dumb his costume is. Um, yes, there's quite a few comic accurate, dumb uh, costumes. Um, they have your favourite actor, David Dashmalchian. Playing the Polka Dot Man. Yeah, I think that'll be good, Ben. I'm looking forward to it. I think it looks fun and enjoyable. Um, Idris Elba brings his usual effortless charm to it, Michael. I was watching it, Ben, and I was thinking, is this a superhero film or is this an ad for Sky? It's an ad for Sky because he, he'll do Sky the popcorn television. dance about five minutes later to a jaunty <laughs> Christmas jingle. Yeah, he's no shame, Idris Elba. He'll advertise anything. He's great. Why Why not, Michael? That man is making bank. Yeah, That man is a, rolling in dough. We'd do a Sky ad. I'd do a Sky ad in a yeah. heartbeat. If Sky you want me to dress up as a weird cat? Yep, yeah. pay me. Yeah, yeah. Anything. 
Literally anything. Anything. The Literally only reason, anything. Michael, I haven't lost all my dignity on this bloody podcast is you don't pay. Yeah, exactly, Ben. And also, you know, technically, uh, technically, we both own this podcast. I don't actually employ you. Oh, no, I'm fully employed. Don't lie to them now, Michael. <laughs> it's too late. I answered an advertisement four years ago, and it's the oh, biggest no. regret of my life. The behind the scenes has been revealed. This is how it's going <laughs> to all collapse. This is how it's going to come down, crashing down like, was it Screen Junkies or what What podcast? All those, all those oh, internet and Anything, anything involving two white men on a podcast eventually turns very, very sour. Oh, that's not nice. We should get yeah. Joss Whedon on. Benjamin, anyway, look, I'll look for, I'll watch The Suicide Squad. It'll be good. I'll enjoy it. Uh, you have the guarantee there that I'll see it. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to go see it, Michael, because I'm, anything with James Gunn in it, I'm pretty much there for, Michael. I'm not I don't know if he's in it, Ben. He's made it, you see. He should be in it, though. You should put him in it, shouldn't he? You should put him in it. He should be in everything. Benjamin, yeah. speaking of, though, things that we're looking forward to, what about things that are already here? Things that have already arrived, Michael. The timidity returns. Oh, the timidity, Benjamin. Okay, before we get in, Ben, there are going to be heavy spoilers here for the new show, Captain America's Friends Without Captain America. Sam and Buck. Um, Sam and Buck, what's going on? Lots of stuff. Sam, Sam Buck, what's going on? Uh, there's a lot going on here, uh, Michael, including uh, what I'm most impressed about is Marvel's tackling a big current topic in the American political landscape, which is uh, racism and prejudicing uh. and profiling. And not that it hasn't been a big topic for the last, you know, however many years America's been around, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they seem to not be shying from it. No. Probably Not tackling more of this than you might have thought. Um, yeah. We were introduced, Michael, to a character that is fascinatingly Z-list or hidden in the archives, and that's uh, Isaiah Bradley. Quite the bombshell, Ben. I have to say, I was not expecting that. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting it probably at some stage to be looked at, but not to be dropped in the middle of this in the second Just- episode. Not not only, Michael, does it introduce that, but uh, we got a little glimpse of Elijah Bradley as well. Um, Potentially. becomes quite uh, the character, if anything's to be done with this. Mm. Um, one of the things that I find most intriguing, Michael, is that he was an incredibly effective super soldier because he took down the Winter Soldier. Well, he beat him up, but it appears that Bucky escaped. Yeah, but still, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, hey. that's not a small feat in the universe of... Of the MCU because the Winter Soldier is a real, real heavy badass. hitter, yeah, or was. Mm. You know, he was the boogeyman. He was the John Wick of the Marvel universe at one point. Now he's a bit timid. Now he's a bit timid. Mm. Um, one of the things I completely forgot, um, Michael, is that Bucky is a full-on super soldier. Oh yeah. Um, so at one point when he's sprinting, I went, Brilliant. "Wait, what? Huh? Brilliant. What?" Yeah. He's, he's having a little jog after a truck convoy. And I was like, wait, where did that speed come? Oh, yeah. No, he is actually a fully oh, yeah. super soldiered super soldier. If you remember in uh, Civil War, that there was a great foot chase where Captain America, Bucky and Black Panther were all running along outside one cars. One. Yeah. And Bucky I, was usually up keeping speed with Captain America and, and Black Panther when they were... When they were doing their jog, full clip. Um, yeah. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't remember that. So that was. I was sitting there going, Wait, "What? Huh? Yeah, it, you... he wouldn't be much use if his only power was a metal arm. No, he wouldn't. But that you see that that was the that was the fun moment for me where I was like, "Yes, of course, of now, course, ben, that's how it works." <laughs> let's briefly talk about Isaiah Bradley. You very briefly tell us who he is in the comics. Or you give me a little wink and say, Mick, I haven't checked this, so why don't you do it? No, I, Isaiah Bradley is the, the black Captain America of the Marvel Comics universe, Michael. And um, he was he's a hidden part of history and is used quite often to discuss that topic of um, the black experience versus the white experience, even in the realm of Marvel Comics, because mm. he did have a whole history, but unfortunately his super soldierdom... Um, had detrimental effects on his health in later life. Ben. Yes. Isn't there quite a big change in this? That in the comics, Isaiah Bradley was introduced as the original, the prototype Captain America. Oh, that's true, Michael. You're absolutely and right. there were a lot of kind of undertones of he was the black guy that they experimented on before they used the developed serum on Steve Rogers, the poster boy, white boy of World War Two. Yeah, he's the guinea pig, Michael. Yeah, and, you know, very unpleasant uh, 
undertones in that about how black people were treated in in World War Two. Yeah, um, and that's somewhat missing here because in this he isn't pre Steve Rogers. He appears to be post Steve Rogers. Yeah, Steve Rogers is still El, El Capitan Prima. Yeah, he's still um, the original in English. Yeah, I I like the implication that Captain America is unaware of this. The mm. original Captain America, Steve Rogers, is unaware of all this, and this is kind of Bucky's dark secret. Do you know One what of I mean? His dark secrets, but he's full of them. Yeah, I know. He's just he's got stacks of them, Michael. Um, but I I quite enjoy. I like that nobody knows, and I like the outrage that Sam shows towards it. Regardless, I think a lot of that outrage is still there. Anthony Mackie can act, Michael. I know. I keep telling you that every week, Ben. Famous actor Anthony Mackie is quite good. But I never knew that, Michael. Anthony Mackie can act. Oh, yeah. He was Clarence in 8 Mile. He was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. There's a very entertaining um, redub of that going to 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. And it syncs up almost perfectly. The famous rap scene. Very good. Benjamin. Uh, very enjoyable. Yes, go on. Now, speaking of twists and turns. Go on. Um, I thought they did a very good job of hiding the fact. We knew that that truck top fight sequence was coming. Okay. We knew that. It was in all the trailers. We saw almost the whole fight in the trailers. The hand masks. But, Ben, I like that logo. I like that logo of the hand, but the palm is a globe. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. Um, Well done. But what I was saying was, very surprising intervention from the new Captain America. Yeah, and one of my favourite things about it, Michael, was it showed how incompetent he really kind of is. Um, He's not a Steve Rogers at all. Well, Ben, um, he's not a super soldier. No, he's not a super soldier. So, Michael, let me let me bring you to a little... Well, do you want to finish your point first and then bring you to my little my little supposition? Well, my point was going to be, I thought he was very good with the old shield. He was. He was fairly adept at the old shield. Now, I won't very take that away from shield. him, Michael. Very good at the shield and seems very capable, but not super powered. Not at all, Michael. He gets his ass handed to him at the end there. Where he's, he steps up and he says, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And then he gets an old punt off yeah. the back of the, the lorry. Get off of here. She How says. about you go feck yourself? He can't. Well, he can't run behind a, a speeding truck, Michael. No, he won't catch it. He's he's only normally fast. Only a normal lad. Um, Interestingly, Ben throws back to what we were saying last week. He has the Captain America from the comics power level. Yes. Well, Michael, what we've been introduced here is is a very possible, and this is where I'm gonna we're gonna play supposing the timidity. Right, 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 right. In the comics, Michael, his powers are given to him by none other than the power broker. Oh. The power broker, Michael, um, it it was originally a single individual. Then it became Power Broker Inc. And in the Marvel Universe, they play a huge role in the Armor Wars um, Mm. issue. They're the kind of people that steal superhero technology and sell it to criminals that want to upgrade their setup. Yeah, they give you powers. And they give you powers. Um, Now, we've already realized that Cassie Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers are clearly in debt to the Power Brokers because we were introduced to them in this very episode. Uh, they're on the run, Ben. And some of John Walker's insecurities and lack of prowess have been revealed here because he said, I really need Captain America's wingman on my side to make this go well. Yeah. Second interesting point. I think, Michael, at some point, he's going to make a show of himself in this series and turn to the power brokers to get augmented. Yes, me too, Ben. Um, that is my full theory for this particular... Yes. And- um, I think that the power behind the power brokers will turn out to be the character Mephisto. <laughs> Do you know him, Ben? Do you want to tell the Jerry listeners? Jerry Seinfeld he... in the eighties movie, isn't he? Exactly, Ben. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I agree with you on that. I think that's where it's going. I actually had a feeling watching this at the beginning that. They might do a little twisty-wisty and kill him off in the first episode. That's what I thought as well. I was sitting there going, oh, he's going to get booted off the lorry and get run over or something. Yeah, and then the whole thing would be like, oh, maybe we won't do that anymore. Because we know that Bucky and Sam are going to get back in possession of the shield at some stage. Because we see Sam carrying the shield in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. So, mm, yeah, delicious. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm quite excited. What did you think of, of Captain America's new Bucky? Uh, Battlestar <laughs> Battlestar Imagine um, calling yourself Battlestar Battlestar Galactica Again that's from the comics um, yes. Battlestar was originally Bucky 4 Bucky 4 He was called Bucky And he was John Walker's Bucky That was the mm. whole point And then later obviously through identity 
crisis and now he's like well I don't want to be the fourth bookie in a line of bookies that's not um, so then he became Battlestar Battlestar stupid name terrible yeah um, I think this Captain America because we learned a little bit more about his kind of black ops past he seems to have a, a slightly black ops past he seems to be a no-nonsense individual yeah Um. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think our prediction, Michael, of a, a very, a very blind patriotism angle is, is probably going to come full fruition here. Yes, but I like that so far it's operating in moral greys, Ben. That it's there aren't a clear baddies yet. Um, I but see that's one of the things that it kind of drew back for me. There's a very big switch, um, for John Walker between come on, join my team work with me and Battlestar to to take these guys down. Mm-hmm. And then there's the very there's the very sharp um snub that he gets from Sam and Book. And um he then becomes very mean. He's just yeah. like, well stay the hell out of my stay way. Stay the hell out of my way or else I'll throw my shield at you. But he's also very cavalier in the sense of, well, the the uh, the hundred and five year old man doesn't need therapy. <laughs> he's too valuable an asset <laughs> to have tied up. And and ego is his dad, so that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So it's him and Star Lord are half brothers, I guess, in this what? universe. Because it's Wyatt Russell, played by Wyatt Russell, the famous son of actor Kurt Russell. Is it? Oh, of course it is. Oh, yeah. I'm an idiot. So he's that's ego. So I'm he's an also idiot. he's probably also got some of those celestial powers, Ben. I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, I'm just confusing the listeners. Benjamin, speaking of things that were on this week, though, there was something very exciting for you and for me, but especially for me, but also for you, but also especially for me this week. Michael, slightly, this slightly buried on Amazon Prime, I found. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? No big splash of look at this thing we've made. But why? I don't know. Because, Ben, we're talking about the new animated adult TV series, uh, Invincible. Invincible. And Ben, we will be doing some heavy spoilers for this as well. Yeah, a big. we're going to do episode one, Michael. Cause I, well, you can do episode two and three if you want. I don't I've mind. seen episode two and three as well, Ben. I've watched all three, obviously. Obviously. Um, so, so Invincible is a new uh, adult animated series based on the comic by Image Comics, Ben, by Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley. And Corey and, Walker. Yeah, Corey Walker. That's it. Um and it's a favourite of yours, Michael. It's, it's one of it's my a... favourites, Ben. I've got the entire collection here. Look. Look. I've put, the, I've put them in frame so you can see them. Look, they're lovely. You can see they're them there in ben. frame. 12 issues. 144 issues, Ben. 144 issues of comic yeah. goodness, Michael. So and what many it is, issues, Ben. I suppose, Michael, is, a, is an upgrade to the traditional superhero trajectory. Yeah, look, we've talked about it before, but it's what if Spider-Man was Superman, basically. Yeah. It's and what it if Spider-Man pretty... was pretty darn good and it's pretty darn good Ben and it has one of the most famous twists in the premise of a comic of all time does and that twist Ben comes in I think issue 12 of the comics yes but in this by god and by howdy Ben they get it out of the way in issue 1 yes but it gets some upgrade Michael oh my god Ben Holy moly, Ben. Big spoilers coming, Ben. But Jesus H. Christ, that ending. Um, Holy God. So here's the interesting thing, Michael. Initially, when I was watching it, I couldn't see what the big adult type was about. Because the the entire first 40 minutes of this show, Michael, are clean. Very clean. It's a super teenage story. It could be on Cartoon Network. Yeah. Except people Um, sometimes say shit and fuck. And I said to myself, what the fuck is the point in this? Yeah. And then, Michael. Holy God. then. Holy shit. Holy God, Ben. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God, Ben. The Guardians of the Globe, Ben. They get fucked up. But but what's so interesting to me, Michael, is the effort they put in this time. The desperation that takes off. Holy fuck. (laughs) Oh, my God. So sad. So sad. The other thing, Ben, is the Guardians of the Globe in the comic book. When they're killed off, spoilers, um, they are given about a page each, each to introduce them and then killed off in a page. Yeah. But in this, it introduces a whole new opening where we get to see them working together. We get to see their powers. I watched it with my good lady friend, Ben, and she said, oh, the Justice League. Is that one Wolverine? There's a... Oh. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. Yes. 
Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yes, dear. definitely Wolverine. Yes, yeah. Dear. yeah. So, um, but I mean, she saw the Justice League pastiche immediately and said, oh, they're like the Justice League. We'll leave the Wolverine thing aside for the Yes, moment. for the good. But, um, but building them up as characters and seeing each of them living a little bit of their life. And then, oh, Much worse. holy moly, Ben, they got, they got, Much oh, worse. very bad, very upsetting, very upsetting. Probably the best sequence in the entire first episode for me, Michael. Um, because so much of it is 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 familiar to myself and yourself. Yes, and anyone who knows comic, because look, it's an evil Superman is done and dusted at this stage. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Yeah, we we we've we've seen this before. And uh, the, even the even the Guardians of the Galaxy go through the. He must be controlled by somebody else. Yeah, Guardians of the Globe, Ben. Guardians of the uh, Gar- Guardians of the Globe. Yeah, sorry, Guardians of the Galaxy is is something else. Um, something but else. But yeah, probably. it's. I, I just the the level of violence and visceral animation that takes place in that last seven minutes, Michael. Shocking, ben. shocking and appalling. Shocking and appalling. I mean, um, Warrior Woman's death is oh. one of the most viscerally unpleasant things I've ever seen in animation. <laughs> just spins her head around, and that's bad enough. And then she coughs off blood all over her own cape. Oh, oh no, no! Thank you. Just awful. Very unpleasant. Very unpleasant. And, and I it, mean, what happens to Darkwing is exactly what should happen to Batman in a fight with Superman. Yep. Very yep. unpleasant. Yes. So swift and painful, and oh, yeah, yeah. you could feel it. Like you were just like, oh god, oh, yeah. god. and the oh the the Green Lantern pastiche, Michael, where oh. her head just gets. Just punch her straight oh. through the head. Gross and horrible, Jesus. Ben. I didn't like it. And she has to hold Darkwing's pulp. Because that's what it is. <laughs> it's pulp. Oh, gross and horrible. I didn't like it, Ben. It's... it's <laughs> so the interesting thing about the show is it's written by Kirkman. Oh, Kirkman! Kirkman. And Kirkman at this stage, Ben, is both a very experienced comic book writer and a very experienced TV show writer. Dab hand. And... You know, it is very much invincible. There are some scenes which are just lifted straight from the comics. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a little bit funny to see some of the scenes that are traditionally Cory Walker scenes done in this animation, which is a bit more Ryan Otley style Yeah, animation. it's very Otley. It's very Otley. It's a little bit cheap, though. I found the characters a little bit lacking in expression. It's janky on occasion. It's, not, it's no Disney. Um, There's, no, there, it also hasn't been... Edited to the best of its ability. There are a few lingering shots that don't make a lot of sense. Um, mm. We occasionally see Mark smile at the end of a sequence where you could just as easily move on to the next sequence. That's a purely editing gripe. It's not really fair on the show. Yeah, um, I mean, I found I find the character animation a little flat. Um, so often the actors are really emoting or making like reaction sounds and the fa- the the, char- the animated faces don't move. Yeah, that's it, true. Look, it, it's it's beautifully it instills it is a comic book it is it is like reading an issue of invincible but it it doesn't the animation isn't quite as um as uh as vivid as not vivid that's the wrong word the animation isn't quite as fluid as i'd like it's not quite as expressive as you'd want especially with the performances that the actors are doing jk simmons jk simmons yeah jk simmons is delicious jillian jacobs is in it Zazie Beats, Sandra O, oh, Stephen Yoon. Oh. Ben, I mean, the cast is incredible. Huge. Spectacular, Ben. Every time the new character comes in, you go, holy God, that's Seth Rogen for three minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. But yeah, not as expressive as I think I would have liked. But that's not my point. My point is, Robert Kirkman is becoming quite the expert in getting a second go of writing his his overs again. Yeah. Because this is Invincible. But it's also not Invincible. It's not the original first story. I I one of the things I found most interesting, Michael, and I think something that maybe is a sign that Kirkman is very aware of this being his second time around. Science Dog is gone. He's been replaced by Seance Dog. What's that about? Brilliant. Love it. Love that having a little twist. But a seance is your second chance, Michael. I mean, if we're going deep reading here, buddy. Oh, very clever. Very good. I mean. Um, very clever. I mean. Very good. But 
because Ben, because of the fact that this is a second go round for him, um, very deep spoilers here. Very, very, very deep spoilers. This is for people who have read every issue of Invincible and intend to watch every episode of this series. Mm-hmm. So that's how deep these spoilers are going. So they if you deep. don't want to listen to this, don't listen because this is going to ruin it. Okay. But in the comics, Ben, as you remember, um, Omni Man, yeah, um, from Swords. turns out to have been a little bit conflicted about this whole situation. Not great. And you know he comes back to the side of the goodies. He does. He he's redeemed from his acts of a boldy later on. Yes, he is. And in the comics, I never liked his redemption because okay. the whole twist of him being the villain was so clearly and beautifully done that the redemption and twist that he didn't really want to do it later on, I felt was unearned. Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, no, no comic in my memory ever got me quite as good as that. Yeah. But this, because it's a go around and you have the benefit of hindsight and some time to work in a bit of extra subtlety, mm. this give gives hints that it's not exactly what he wanted to do. He's a bit more remorseful here, a bit more considered. In the comic when he kills them, he's making quips about he never liked them anyway. Yeah, he's a and real he's, dick. Yeah, he's a real dick and he's standing victorious over their bodies, covered yeah. in blood with a smirk like, ha ha ha. But it. in this, it's a lot more, this is something I kind of have to do because Mark has come of age. And it takes a lot out of him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Omni-Man's it's, not as powered as he is in the comic. He he catches them off guard a lot more in the comic. Oh, that's that's fair. That's I fair. Thought, he um, just decapitates all of them in one fell swoop pr- in the comic. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, in in this, my de- I thought the depiction of Red Rush's superpowers were one of the best depictions of a speedster fighting a Superman that we've ever seen. Yeah. He, he's mostly a frustration for Omni-Man. Yeah, uh, and if he hadn't... This is way too deep into nerd talk. But if, if Red Rush hadn't tried to engage him directly, they might have won. Yeah. If Red Rush had just protected the team and let the heavier hitters actually try and damage him, they might have won. I, I think that's what makes it such a gut punch when he gets caught as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that scene was that scene's gonna live in my memory. That's in my nightmares now. Oh, uh, that, gross. It's, the head pop is just. It was. Oh. I mean, I know they have a head pop in common, but it was up there for upsettingness with the famous Game of Thrones Viper versus the Mountain fight. Yeah, it was like, oh no, this is oh very nasty, very unpleasant. Who's going to look after that girl that the Martian was looking after? Why did they introduce a small blonde orphan? <laughs> yeah. Who's gonna Who's gonna be a fish now? I like that they introduced his weakness as well in that scene, though the little red dot. Yeah, very clever. Anyway, very interesting. Um, fascinating, Michael. To be honest, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and will be looking forward to it. And I will be sitting down and watching. It is going to be my new Saturday morning show. I'm so excited! Oh, it's, good for you, Michael. Good as for you. Good as I feel it's as good as the boys, so I'll be looking forward to it every Saturday. I, I think that's fair. I think you're being... Isn't it interesting that comics are getting a, a, a second go-around on Amazon? Amazon seems to be the, the yeah, channel for, for independent comics getting, their, getting their, their time to shine. Amazon are our new heroes. Uh, well, well, you know, there's the global practice, which is kind of messy. Yeah, um, yeah that's not great. Speaking of Michael, yeah. deception. Oh, very good. Yeah. Most foul, Michael. Yeah. Where yeah, you the, think you can trust somebody, and then all of a sudden they're popping your head because you're yeah. a hindrance. Yeah, like the Chinese government. The, oh fuck! <laughs> oh, allegedly, wow. allegedly, only in that one province. Allegedly. Oh, wow. I I don't know where to go from here, Michael. You've scuppered me. Um, no um, off colour political references aside Michael um, I don't know what to do now you've thrown me do your segue 
Segway, ben. Speaking of tricky bastards, Michael, it's April yeah. Fool's Day in a couple of days' time. And so in honour of that, what we've done is we're doing one of our classic uh, Tricksters and Chancers episodes, Michael. Ah, one of our good. classic Tricksters and Chancers episodes. Excellent. I like that. And, uh, what the hell yeah. do you mean about Tricksters and Chancers? Yeah, so, Michael, if you're if you're a fan of the elf folklore mythology like we here at the podcast are... <clears throat> Yes. Um, you'll know that there's a couple of archetypes that pop up in every story. And these were largely documented and written down by noted crackpot Carl Jung. Um, and he kind of came up with a whole series of archetypes that you can find in different stories. And then those were taken on by writers and they were turned into their own thing as well. Most famously by Joseph Campbell in The Hero's Journey, where he set out the 12 steps that any writer should take to make a really good story. Oh, yes. Um, so he used a combination of Jungian psychology and uh, narratology, which is what it's called. Um, the study of how stories are built. And he came up with these different things. And one of the most constant, Michael, and most enjoyable in all fiction, be it from 3,000 years ago or yesterday afternoon when you were watching Invincible for the first time. Yes. Um, is the trickster. And the trickster has uh, a lot of different characteristics. But um, two noted academics, Michael, two noted academics Us. came up with the six main traits that help you to identify... Um, a trickster in a story that you're reading and it's by uh, two academics known as Heinz and Dotty and I can't remember their first names but it's going to drive me mad okay probably something to do with beans <laughs> uh, ah more than likely more than likely Michael very witty very witty yeah. so Polka. Mythical Trickster Figures was released ben. in 1997 ben. yes Ben Polka <laughs> Polka Dotty I hate you it's not Uyghur jokes it's dot jokes it's really hard to keep up with where your sense of humor is at um, that face is so punchable at the minute. I'm I'm doing my Kieran Knightley face. Yes, I can see it. It's just mad. It's just mad, and I'm going to subject viewers to it as well now. Um, because I've screenshot that as well. Yeah, cook. Um, anyway. They released a book called Mythical Trickster Figures in 1997. It was a really in-depth look, but they kind of outlined the six traits that, that make a, a trickster a trickster. And they are right. as follows, Michael. Okay. Uh, number one, they are fundamentally ambiguous and anomalous. Now, that sounds a bit vague, Michael, but ambiguous ah. means that their allegiance isn't really clearly defined. Um, they don't really ever pick one particular side um, and anomalous means they don't fit in the rest of the pantheon or canon that they exist within mm. um, very often Michael a trickster will have a, a genuine personality or sense of humour or human emotions that we don't see in other gods mm. um, and it's it's quite an interesting thing to see number two is that they are inherently Michael a deceiver yes. or a trick player mm. Um, now, that can be towards a goal, but more often than not, Michael, it's done for pure sport. Um, they simply enjoy pulling one over on other people. That's what they do. Um, and it's the, the key characteristic, I suppose, that defines them. Um, generally speaking, Michael, they are shapeshifters or masters of disguise. Mm, they'll be wearing a different costume. They'll be wearing a different costume. And that's going to come up later on, Michael. Well done. Excellent little uh, excellent little uh, Chekhov's gun there. Chekhov's shapeshifter on the table. Um, they are a situation inverter. Now, this is a really interesting one, Michael. They break your plots. Um, and the most famous example of that would be, Michael, Q from Star Trek. Oh, I'm going to talk about him. Um, you are, Michael. But if you look at that from a, a logical point of view... Uh, the Enterprise is a very uh, tip-top ship-shape kind of uh, kind of organization, Michael. Find a ship in Starfleet, unless uh, okay, uh, John Picard's a bit of a polo bizarre on occasion. And, uh, Excuse me, hold on a second. Who? John 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 Luke Picard, whatever is yeah. fe- whatever that it's, weird space thing that you watch it's is. John Luke to you. Do not call him John Picard. John ever Pickard. again, ever. <laughs> Jean Luke Picard. <laughs> oh, oh, I want to do a Deep South version of Star Trek The Next Generation Can we Funnily enough, you? Ben, Gene Luck Pickard is a, a joke that Q makes Ah, oh, damn it Okay, we'll come back to it then Hang on, hang on Just oh, Let me give you through my last two My last okay. two He's a messenger and imitator of the gods um, So he's a real piss taker um, He speaks truth to power um, and he likes to make fun of gods and things like that. I suppose the best example of that in modern pop culture, Michael, would be the trickster from Supernatural. Oh, this asshole. This asshole. Um, but we don't have to touch too much on him, Michael, because we've done him before. But then finally, Michael, he's se- uh, 
He's sacred and lewd bricolure. Now, that's a really interesting phrase, right? For one thing, Ben, I don't know what it means. Um, well, bricolure, Michael, is the is the the French art of combining stuff that shouldn't go together. Oh, right. Uh, it's bricolage, as you might know it from artistic movements, and then uh, bricolure is kind of paraphernalia that goes together. So, sacred and lewd at the same time. Generally. Um, trickster gods do have rituals in their name and they take them rather seriously for themselves but they take great joy Michael in being lewd towards other gods in their rituals ah um, and that's that's one of the key things trickster gods are generally quite capricious and have quite a high opinion of themselves and don't like it when they are deceived in turn so they show Zeus their balls and go, Zeus, look at my balls. Look at my balls. But then if Zeus goes, ah, and he slaps them with his balls in the face, then they oh. won't like that at all. They'd be like, oh, no, a ball slap. Oh, um, no, oh you got me, Zeus, you dick. Um, and that's that's really a lot of the ones that we had. So we put this out to the listeners, Michael. I've heard of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you have. Uh, we put this out to the listeners and we got we got uh, one or two responses, Michael, I'll be honest. It was more one than two. Um, but we still appreciate <laughs> it. So, <laughs> um, from from Nuada Designs on Instagram, he, um, they they gave us their attention. They said, Mr. Mixel Pitalik from that Superman. That little prick. That little and, prick. Mr. Mixel Pitalik. You might as well throw in Batmite as well while you're Batmite's in there. Is like, oh, Michael. Now that... That, Michael, is a deep DC cut close to my heart. Um, Mr. Mixelpitalik is an imp yeah. from the fifth dimension. Right. Um, Fascinating. And he is, in every sense, matches all six of our criteria there, Michael. Um, he's, number one, uh, fundamentally ambiguous and anomalous. He's not really good or bad. Yeah. Um, and he's anomalous in the sense that he only appears when he feels like it. He doesn't have any great... Um, he's a classic villain of Superman, Michael. Yes. Um, and in a perfect sense, um, is a deceiver a trick player? Because what he would do is he would come along, Michael, um, and he would change something in Metropolis or alter one particular aspect of Superman's uh, physiology. So it makes him a situation inverter in a very intense way. He might come along and give uh, J- uh, Jimmy Olsen the powers of Superman, for example. Um, or he might come along and make Superman fat. Um, or he might come along and turn all the citizens in Metropolis to Superman haters. Oh, classic. Um, so in that way, he's a deceiver and a trickster, and he uh, inverts all situations in a terrible way. It makes it very difficult for Superman. Um, he is a shapeshifter and master of disguise. He came in a lot of different forms and things. Very often, Michael, when a, a writer would create kind of a one-off supervillain and they didn't know how to end the story, you know, if they made a very powerful supervillain that, that Superman couldn't beat and they didn't really know how to end the story, they'd be like, oh, it was Mr. Mixelpitalik all along. It was him all along and look at his funny hat. Look at his funny little hat. Um, he was famously voiced, Michael, by Gilbert Gottfried on the Superman animated series, which is an inspired piece of voice casting, to be honest. Yes, very good. Probably the best of all time. Um, yeah, just really solid stuff. It's up there with uh, Joker Mark Hamill. But... Uh, he is a messenger and imitator of the gods in that he would quite often um, mimic other superheroes or create other superheroes to contend with Superman. Um, And finally, he's sacred and lewd um, in the fact that he does have a ritual that gets rid of him, um, which is that you have to convince him to say his own name backwards. Which is? Uh, Cliptism. Gotcha, you son of a bitch. You got me. Oh, no. <laughs> Four years on this. Thanks for listening, and ladies and gentlemen. Me. That's the end of the podcast. Um, so that's that's what it is. You have to convince him to say his own name backwards. Um, and that removes him. So he's a perfect example of a trickster archetype. And it couldn't have been better. So thank you very much, Noada Designs. And also, I gotcha, Ben, you son of a bitch. Ben, you got me. I don't know how many of them uh, Q uh, matches. But I think Go probably on. most. Go on. But just like off the top of my head, so I watched uh, a couple of episodes of Q from Star Trek The Next Generation, Ben. Are you familiar with him? Uh, yes, with John Luke Pickard. With John Luke Pickard, Ben. He's played by John DeLancey, the great John DeLancey. Yes. I, don't, I was going to say the late great John DeLancey, but I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. I he's still alive. That. Um, and he was in an episode of Lower Decks, Michael. Voice he Q. was in an episode of Lower Decks and mm. very, um, very mistreated in that episode of Lower Decks. Yeah, he's just uh, ignored. Yeah, yeah. Mm, very interesting. Lower decks. Get out of here. Anyway, <laughs> what was I saying? Go on. He is Ben. Okay, so 
going by your little list there, he's definitely anomalous. Yes. Okay. Because Star Trek is a science fiction word, a, a pretty hard science fiction world. Hard sci-fi. So, you know, things make sense. We know how the yeah. warp drive works. We know how far things are apart. We know um, who our enemies are and what they can do and what yeah. um, culture and abilities they have. And then you have Q, who'll just show up in an episode unexpectedly and act the prick. And he can break the rules of the universe. He can do whatever he wants. All of them. Yeah. He also has, what was the one you were saying about situation inverters? He inverts situations, so he changes the regular run of things. So the the Enterprise will be, Ben, for example, on a routine star mapping expedition. And Q will show up with a point to prove. And he'll teleport them across the universe into some horrible situation. Yeah. And then they'll be like, Q, you've inverted our situation here quite unpleasantly. You dick. Is there any chance you'll send us back, you son of a bitch? Aha, only if you prove to me that humanity is worth saving. (laughs) That's what he does. That's what he does, Ben. Uh, He's like, show me that humanity is worth saving and then I'll send you back. Because he's essentially omnipotent. Um, Like everything in Star Trek, Ben, they like everything in bloody sight in this this genre that we hold so beloved to our hearts, Ben. Um, they explain him into the ground eventually, and they oh. give him a culture. They make him unanomalous. They reveal oh. that he's part of a continuum of cues. That within the continuum of cues, Ben, he is the troublemaker. He is the trickster. Oh, and good. there are other cues who are more orderly and more. Um, focused and they expel him Ben and they get out of here you're too much trouble oh. go live on the Enterprise and redeem yourself oh. whereupon he has to but anyway Ben the, the ultimate best episode that Q appears in is um, is called Q Who okay and Captain Picard is just having a normal day okay he gets in the turbo lift Ben or that as classic. we would call it the lift <laughs> and why would they call it a turbo lift Ben it doesn't make any sense this is turbo yeah but it's still just a lift why uh, wouldn't they just say lift. get in the it's lift? Star Trek lift. They get in the, he gets in the turbo lift, Ben, and he ends up on a space, on a, on a shuttle, light years from the Enterprise. That doesn't make any sense. What? What has happened, Ben? It's your favourite trickster, Q. Ah, your chance of Q. And Q is like, all right, Picard, look, let me be on your crew. I want to be on your crew. And Picard's like, um, you are bloody next of kin to chaos, you son of a bitch. We won't be having you. That's good. And he, and he goes... Good. John Luke Pickard impression. Thank you very much. Logan, we can't have him on the ship, Logan. My uh, my, my lady friend was watching it with me and she says, is that Wolverine? Like, no, different. No, different, uh, <laughs> no dear. No dear. Um, so we were, we, so he goes, all right then, well look, if you're not going to let me be on your crew, wickety bickety doom, and off they go into deep space, Ben, where they encounter the Borg. Oh, not the Borg. And they can't beat the Borg. Oh. They don't know what to do about the Borg. And as a side note from this, Ben, the Q introducing the Borg into Star Trek is probably one of the best 30 minutes of science fiction you'll ever see in your life. Is he the introduction? Yes. Oh, what? So Captain Picard is like, we'll go into space, Logan Q, and we'll meet aliens and we will preserve and we will overcome and we will... Have the spirit of the Federation and William Riker will be there and he's mostly useless. But look, we've put Deanna Troy in a nice tight outfit. Isn't that good? And Q is like, no, no, it's no use. Off you go now. Have a look at this and tell me what you think. And then they introduce the Borg, Ben. And the Borg are utterly terrifying. Yes, they break all the rules, Michael. They break all the rules, Ben. You can't laser them. You can't outrun them. You can't defeat them. You can't reason with them. There's nothing Picard in all his skills can do to stop the Borg. You can be assimilated. You can be assimilated, but not in this episode. And it's utterly terrifying, Ben. It's utterly, utterly terrifying, the Borg. That's interesting. It's one of the greatest introductions of a villain in um, science fiction history I strongly suggest even if you're not a Star Trek fan to watch the episode Q Who okay anyway, I'm going to have to check that out it's great Ben when you first see a Borg they play a Borg theme and something I've noticed in the last couple of weeks is the Borg theme is very much the Alien Invaders theme from Jeff Wayne's The War of the Worlds get out of town yeah have a listen have a listen have I a will watch. have a listen have a listen have a watch but anyway Ben Borg introduction aside, here's my point about what makes Q a little bit different. Go on. Um, for, especially from Mr. Mixel Pickle 
And it is that Mr. Mr. Picklick always flipping loses. True. But in this episode, Q wins. Yeah, because... Because the great and noble and honourable Captain Jean-Luc Picard has to say to Q, we need your help. All right, you bastard. All right, we need... What do you want me to say? We need your help, Q. We're out of our depth. Send us back where there's no more Borgs. And then Q does it. And he's like, I bloody told you. You should have listened to me. But you didn't. (laughs) Dickheads. Yeah. Dickheads. Should have listened to me, your mate Q. Mm, That's interesting, Michael. Mm. And he very rarely loses in his initial appearances. Later shows, obviously, then... You know, gradually bring bring him down. Oh, but in in those early episodes, he's fan, he's a fascinating force, and especially that episode. That episode is a double whammy of one of the best omnipotent trickster villains and one of the most terrifying, unstoppable forces coming from outside the galaxy to get us. No mm, good, mm, delicious, and it also has an entirely unnecessary added character who we've never seen before or since. Played by the lady with the three breasts from Total Recall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she plays an ensign who spills coffee on Captain Picard. And you're thinking, this must be gone somewhere. But it isn't. It isn't. She never (laughs) comes back again. I think she's in the next couple of episodes, but she never does anything useful. That's a shame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a shame for her. One of the best tricksters. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there, Michael. That was an excellent excellent argument on that particular thing. Are Um, there any more, Ben? Well, I mean, you get a lot of interesting ones, Michael. There's there's more animated ones. They're, they're, they've been a huge part of animated tradition. Um, since animation really took off back in the day, we had characters like Felix the Cat or Oswald the Rabbit or Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny. All of those uh, characters are tricksters. Um, mm-hmm. Now, perhaps not to the same extent as each other, um, but fundamentally the, the, the big line that goes with a lot of tricksters, especially if you stick to the Jungian theory, is a transgressor of boundaries. Oh. Um, and they might dress up as a lady. Might dress up as a lady, Michael, exactly. So if you're looking at Bugs Bunny and you want to look at it from that perspective, he follows all of our list as well, Michael. Um, he follows all of our list as well. He is fundamentally ambiguous and anomalous because um, in the middle of hunting season, there's a talking rabbit. Um, I mean, it Why doesn't get Why is he so big? Much- huh? Why is he so big? I don't know. There's something wrong with the carrots. Um, no, it doesn't make sense. He's so big. Yep. Um, or, or, bloody Elmer Foot is so small, which is even weirder. Yeah, that's even weirder, a small, rapid sized <laughs> man. He is a deceiver and trick player, especially in his earlier appearances. So it's interesting that you put that on, Michael, because you said about Q that he gets kind of diluted in later episodes. It's the exact Very same thing so. with Bugs Bunny. Um, the initial Bugs Bunny is a dick. Yeah, he's no use. Bugs Bunny's not a nice guy. He's a Brooklyn wise ass and he's kind of a dick. Um, he's a shapeshifter and master of disguise. Uh, he plays Brunhilde in the opera. He plays the Barber yep. of Seville in another one. He plays a woman in countless iterations. He's a sexy um, lady. And it's a huge part of who he is. He's a situation inverter. He'll very often remove Elmer Fudd from whatever situation they're in and stick them in a brand new situation. They could end up in a milkshake shop where Bugs Bunny drowns him in milkshakes or they could end up in a barber's chair where Bugs Bunny gives him a strange bloody haircut. It's it's bizarre, Michael, but it does work. He appears in unusual situations. There's a famous episode of Looney Tunes where he directs an entire orchestra hmm. um, because he found his way there by mistake and so he turns the orchestra into kind of a mockery of itself. It's fascinating. Um, and then following from that, Michael, he's, a, he's an imitator of the gods. He very often meets characters who are much more powerful than he is and makes fun of them. Um... And then finally, Michael, in that last one, he's sacred and lewd bricolure. He becomes very human in later iterations. He gets an awful lot of uh, pathos and becomes kind of a beleaguered, tragic figure in certain episodes. It's bizarre. And he's always going, look at my balls. Look at my balls. And he'll slap you in the face and run away. (laughs) Um, But that character was embodied by countless iterations. Woody the Woodpecker, um, Felix the Cat... All of those early cartoon heroes are tricksters. That's what they are. They fundamentally exist in that space. Then, Michael, there's some more unusual ones that you probably wouldn't think of. If I was to tell you that the Doctor from Doctor Who is a trickster, you'd go, no, he's a good guy. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of tricksters. They're not bad guys. They're just not They're ambiguous. They're ambiguous. They're ambiguous. But the Doctor is a fantastic example of a... Of a thing, particularly in the area of situation inverter. Um, Doctor Who either comes into your normal northern town in England, 
and really stir shit up or mm-hmm. he'll find his way into the middle of a bloody big alien conspiracy and he'll wreck that for people. Yeah, or he'll show up on a planet where everyone happily lives in some sort of weird system that doesn't make any sense and go, what are y'all living like this for? This isn't the way you should live. Have you, have you ever seen this thing? It's a sonic screwdriver. Yeah, um, he's a shapeshifter by inherent... Oh, look, there's a little light. Look, there's a little light. Oh. Um, he's a shapeshifter inherently by his iterations. He has his regeneration that happens every cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, he is sacred and lewd in how he chooses his uh, how he chooses his companions, how he chooses which gods to respect and which cultures not to respect. Because he does that quite a bit, Michael. Sometimes he'll tell his companion, "Now these are good people. So don't don't do anything silly. All right, don't don't be doing that." And then I other like times, how you've, uh, I like how you've gone with your own doctor there. You haven't done yeah, any made particular my own. one. Made my own. Um, <laughs> he's he's just he's just a normal lad down the pub. Yeah. Um, his name's and then Ian. other times, Ian the who, the doctor. And then other times, Michael, he'll scream at a god. And he'll be like, oh, you big bastard. Yeah, I don't care that you're the devil. What are you oh, doing on this planet anyway? anyway. Oh, um, and we have a lot of that. So the Doctor's a great example of that, Michael, um, as we go along. Um, he is a deceiver and trick player. He'll quite often use tricksy wordplay to get around the Daleks. Um, mm-hmm. He'll kind of confuse your prime direct- directive if you're a Cyberman. You know, there's a lot of that going on, Michael. So he's a great he'll- example of a trickster. He'll travel back in time and then live throughout the entire history of the universe just to come out a door behind you and go, Bah! Yeah, I gotcha! <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was over there, but I actually went back in time four billion years, lived four billion years of life, and then snuck up behind you and went, Bah! Bah! Um, there's a great sketch from, I think, around 1998 and where Rowan Atkinson for Red Nose Day plays the Doctor. Yes, it's very good. Um, and it's exactly that premise where they just live out the time it takes them to do something. <laughs> because they they both lose their TARDISes and they have to just live through the events. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, one of my one of my favourite overlooked trickster archetypes, Michael. Um, I think that brings us to a close, Michael, does it? It does. Or does it, Ben? Blah! Blah! Oh, you got me, you son of a bitch. It's only the um, start of the episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've only managed to get through uh, a mere handful of tricksters. I'm sure you have more that you'd like to tell us about. You can get in touch with us in the following ways. Ben, uh, yes, everyone should go and watch Q Who. It go watch Q Who. It, it even works as a standalone thing. You don't need to know anything about Star Trek. You don't need to know anything. And it has a fascinating backstory, Ben, of being accidentally created. Let's go watch Q Who. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear it? No, do you want to hear it for a minute? I'll tell you for a minute. Go on, go on. So, the season one episode, season finale, Ben, was supposed to be about uh, Federation outposts disappearing along the Romulan neutral zone. Oh, no, not the Romulan neutral zone. And the Enterprise is sent to investigate. This is meant to be, Ben. The Enterprise was meant to, sent to investigate. And the Enterprise finds all these missing outposts that have been just. Whole, whole whole hog ripped out of the ground and gone and yeah. the, the Romulans show up and they're like what are you guys doing here and they're like we're here to check this out and the Romulans are saying you better fucking not be doing any messing and they're going no no we're not doing any messing and this the is Romulans the RNZ saying, baby yeah and the Romulans are saying or as they call it the Federation neutral zone and the Romulans are like no you're messing because some of our outposts have gone missing and the humans are uh, the Federation are like, no, no, no our, our outposts have missing too. We think it's you. And the Romulans are like, no, we're pretty sure it's you. We're going to shoot you with our phasers. Gotcha. And then, Ben, the Borg show up. Oh, no. And the Romulans and the Federation are like, well, we'll team up and beat them up. But then the Borg beat them both up and they're terrified and they run away. Fair. And that's what was supposed to happen. But there was a writer's strike in 1987 and they didn't get to finish that episode. Brilliant. So that episode became... A kind of Cold War um, stalemate episode about the Romulans investigating the Federation and the Federation investigating the Romulans and trying not to go to war. But it was never resolved who was destroying the outposts. And then they had to go, shit, we've missed our chance to introduce the Borg and they're supposed to be kind of the major plot point for the next couple of years. What are we going to do? So they went, let's just have Q show up and teleport them there. Class. So it was a like an act of necessity that they somewhat lazily had Q just show up and introduce the Borg instead of introducing them organically. 
and they yeah, accidentally created what might be one of the best hours of science fiction television of all time. So Q is quite literally a messenger of the gods if we take the writers of the show to be the gods in this particular case. Oh, that's on the nose, Ben. That's on the nose. I've got to give you some sonic screwdriver for that. <laughs> I quite like that, Michael. That was an excellent, excellent reason to interrupt my wrap-up. Go watch that. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's great. Um, Go watch that episode. Tell us what you think of it at www.seomrabeug.com. S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. Means tiny room in Irish. Or give us a shout on the L on Instagram at seomrabeug. S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G. Still kind of means tiny room in Irish. And you can join us next week, ladies and gentlemen, where there'll be more spacey-wacey goodness and we talk about our dream space crew. Oh, we're doing that, aren't we, brilliant? Yeah, we're making an amalgam space crew from all your favourite captains, second mates, bloody uh, rough and toughers, whatever you like from your favourite sci-fi shows. I'm going to put them all in one spaceship and send them across the galaxy. So, Ben, are we going to kind of have a look at the themes and tropes of who makes up a crew and then pick our favourite oh, of each of those? <laughs> Michael, I think you know we are. Oh, that's very exciting, Ben. I'll try to make sure that mine aren't just all sexy ladies. I, I can't promise, <laughs> but I'll try. I'll try, Ben. No promises, though. Okay, bye. See you next week in space.